Today, if your property has an infestation of bugs, you may call an exterminator. If other wildlife are causing harm, baiting, barriers, and other humane efforts may be taken to limit their ability to damage property and themselves. In 1932, farmers in Western Australia were having their crops destroyed by a migrating emu population. Their solution was very different to the ones that we have today. They used soldiers armed with machine guns. Oh boy. Oh, the emu war. The emu war. (laughs) So the emu war was a nuisance wildlife management military operation in Australia in 1932. Now, nuisance wildlife management is the term given to the process of selectively removing individuals or populations of specific species of wildlife. In the modern day, the term wildlife damage management is also used. Uh, I quite like this term when reading the Wikipedia article because it takes the emphasis away from what you're doing. Wildlife damage management is exactly the same as nuisance wildlife management, right? But it's just like, oh, we're gonna, we're just gonna stop the damage. But no, you, you're still killing the animals, like, or getting rid of the animals in some way. It's just a funny term to me. This is an issue because some species have become used to the presence of humans. Uh, we create these conditions for ourselves that favor conditions they need, and this can cause property damage or even. Uh, disease can be transferred to pets or humans due to the comfort and proximity wildlife has with us. There are several methods of wildlife management, including erecting physical barriers, modifying the animal's habitat to encourage them to move out of an area, deploying chemical repellents, trapping, and more. So following the First World War, many former Australian and British soldiers took up farming in Western Australia. When the Great Depression hit the area in 1929, the government promised farmers increased subsidies to grow additional wheat. However, the government proved unable to actually go through with this and provide the subsidies to the farmers. And by October 1932, tension between farmers and the Australian government were coming to a head. Matters were made worse when some 20,000 20, emus began to migrate inland during their breeding season. They were enticed by the land cultivated for the farmers' livestock and therefore began attacking the wheat stores, destroying the crops. In addition to just eating the crops and destroying everything, the emus caused property damage to fences and gates, allowing rabbits and other wildlife to occupy what had previously been marked off farmland, making matters worse. These emus were like a storm of some description descending upon the Australian farmland. So before we get into how the farmers and government reacted to the problem, let's talk a little bit about emus. They are the second largest living bird on the planet, reaching over 6 feet or 1.9 meters tall, and they are native to only Australia. Emus are flightless birds with long necks and legs, second in size only to the ostrich. They are capable they are capable of traveling great distances over land and can sprint at speeds of up to 50 kilometers an hour, which is 31 miles an hour. That is a fast bird, my friend. It's a fast giant bird. <laughs> yeah, fast giant bird. The giant part is very important. It is the size of a man, (laughs) and runs at the speed of a car. (laughs) Uh, Emus eat plants and insects, and like a lot of other wildlife, they often swallow small stones to assist in the grinding and digestion of plant material. Mates will be together for up to five months, with males building and guarding the nest once eggs are laid. Thanks to their good eyesight and hearing ability, emus are able to detect threats at a great distance. Their main predator is the dingo, a wild dog also only found in Australia. Emus can be farmed primarily for their meat, feathers, and oil, 
While some subspecies have been made extinct by hunting, the general emu population is now considered stable. Now that we all know what an emu is, let's go back to 1932. Farmers complained to the government that the emus were ravaging the very crops that they had grown and were left stuck with because the subsidies never surfaced for those crops to be grown. A group of ex-soldiers turned farmers requested the use of Lewis guns to kill the birds. The Lewis gun was a light machine gun designed by the U.S. that was adopted and mass-produced in the United Kingdom, and it was in service all the way up to the Korean War. It is a far cry from the more humane efforts used in other nuisance wildlife management initiatives. The Lewis gun could fire between 500 and 600 rounds a minute with a velocity of 740 meters a second. It could be fired effectively at targets up to 800 meters away. For your mental image, a Lewis gun is not really a gun that people hold. It's like a gun that would be mounted down or something or put down on the ground. It has like little arms that come out of the side and the ammunition is fed into it. It's kind of important for what's coming up later that you think of it that way. In October 1932, Major G.P.W. Meredith of the 7th Heavy Battery of the Royal Australian Artillery commanded a, pa- commanded a pair of soldiers armed with two Lewis guns and 10,000 rounds of ammunition to travel to the farmlands. These men were deployed because while the government granted the request for military hardware to deal with the wildlife, the Minister of Defense, a man named Sir George Pierce, said that the guns were only to be used by military personnel, but payment for food and ammunition would be made by the farmers. On November the 2nd, the men spotted 50 emus upon traveling to Campion which is a region in Australia. The birds were out of firing range, so locals tried to herd them in. The birds then split into small groups, and only a dozen or so were killed by the gunfire. Two days later, Meredith had established an ambush near a local dam. A thousand emus were routed towards the trap, but the guns jammed after only 12 birds were killed. After these two failures, Meredith outfitted a truck with a machine gun on the roof, but it proved too loud. He decided to go pretty Mad Max on the emus. (laughs) Uh, They were scared off by the sound, and the ride was too rough for clean shots. By November 8th, 2,500 rounds had been fired. Uh, The number of birds killed is actually unclear. Some reports claim anywhere between 200 and 500 emus had perished. I think the fact that the reports are unclear tells you it wasn't many. Yeah. (laughs) That day, the Australian House of Representatives discussed the operation. Local media coverage was negative, and Sir Pierce then withdrew the military personnel and their weapons. This was a complete failure. However, that was not the end of it. Emu attacks on crops continued, and farmers once again asked for help. James Mitchell, who was the premier of Western Australia, was in favor of the resumption of military efforts, despite the Minister of Defense and the House of Representatives being against it. Spurred on by reports that some 300 birds have been killed, the Minister of Defense reversed his decision on November 12, 1932. The military agreed to loan out the weapons, but did not authorize the use of soldiers in the operation. However, Meredith was put back in the field due to a lack of experienced volunteers. In the first 48 hours of this second mission, Meredith and his men saw success, if you want to call it that, killing 40 emus and eventually killing roughly 100 birds per week until December 10th, when the government put a stop to the emu war for good. 
In his final report, Meredith claimed 986 kills with 9,860 rounds at a rate of exactly 10 rounds per confirmed kill. Additionally, he stated that 2,500 wounded birds had died as a result of injuries suffered from the... I can't think of what you would call it. Missions. There we go. <laughs> attacks was where my word, where my brain was going. But I'm okay with attacks. Attacks will go of emu attacks. Uh, despite the political pressure and questionable nature of using military equipment in such a peculiar manner, farmers in the region requested military help three more times in the 1930s and 40s. Thankfully, cooler heads prevailed, and instead of military support, the Australian government put forth a bounty program for capturing emus. By this time, word of the emu war had spread beyond the continent, and as you might imagine, it horrified conservationists and scientists world over. This bounty is really eye-opening. We've spoken about like 986 birds killed. There was a a statistic in the Wikipedia article that said in over a six-month period in 1934, 57,034 bounties were claimed. Wow. That is a big difference to what the military were doing. I don't know what people were doing to these emus, but that is a much, much different effect. I think all of this is a case of you do what you know best. You know, a lot of these farmers had been in World War One, and even though none of them volunteered to participate themselves, they saw the problem as something that the military could solve for them. But overall, at least the way that I look at it, this was kind of a cruel, poorly managed operation as a way to try and rid a part of Australia of birds. And it's kind of no wonder that as soon as news reached like outside of Australia that they stopped doing this. As soon as the outside world started looking at them and being like, hey, what are you doing over there? It finished. Yeah, which is which is good. I mean, this thing is, is horrifying. I mean, and I get the, the problem, right? The problem being that there are these six-foot-tall birds that are coming in and destroying all the crops, especially like in the first instance, the crops that you were asked to grow, right, that you were never going to get paid for. I can kind of understand, like, you need to stop this from happening, but the way in which they decided to do it was so barbaric, like mounting machine guns to trucks and chasing birds around the outback and putting rounds into them it's just a really really bizarre and brutal way of dealing with such a problem we would like to thank listener alexander for this week's suggestion Uh, if you have a suggestion for a show you can get it to us uh, a couple of ways you can hit us up on twitter Uh, the show is at ungeniused and if you go to the website uh, this week the links are at relay.fm slash ungeniused slash seven there's also a a contact uh, link there but you can also Again, touch with Mike and I directly. Mike is uh, I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter and I-M-I-S-M-H. Until next time, Mike, say goodbye. Goodbye. Adios.